This episode is supported by Vegamore. I am a month and a half into my Vegamore journey, and I don't know if you've ever had a garden and planted seeds, but when that first little growth breaks ground, it's exciting. And on my very head, I can see some new growth in the areas that I've noticed thinning hair before. And it's exciting to see those babies come in. I use the shampoo, the conditioner, and the grow serum, which have a lovely, mellow, warm citrus smell, 100% cruelty-free, and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Elevate your hair wellness routine this year with Vegamore. For a limited time, get 20% off your first subscription order by going to vegamore.com mind and use code mind at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash mind, code mind, to save 20% on your first order. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There is more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so glad you could join us again. Today on this podcast, we are going to be hearing from Anne Wanland who is a new mom. She's been working in maternal child health for most of her career, primarily in East Africa and doing other humanitarian work. She is sharing her story of how she was caught off guard by her experiences trying to manage her anxiety and mood during pregnancy and post-childbirth and realized there was a huge neglected part of maternal health that she had no idea about. That is the experience of a lot of people who come to share their story on this podcast, and it is still happening to way too many people where they are surprised and overwhelmed by the experience of new parenthood and new motherhood, and shares her story and shares how she has decided to dedicate her life to addressing this issue through Canopy a social impact company focused on preventing and addressing common maternal mental health conditions. Anne shares her story, how her personal experience affected the work that she is doing now, what she wishes that other moms knew, and also discusses some of the changes that she'd like to see in maternal health and mental health. And honestly, the more we can share this information with everyone, the better off everyone will be. It is really hard to know that you're going to need this kind of support. It's really hard to know that before you're experiencing it. But just like other things that we are educated about, maternal mental health, perinatal mental health conditions, and how they might impact people, it's really important for people to be educated about this so that if it happens to them, they don't have to be blindsided. Anne shares with us parts of her story that resonate with this and has the same hope that I do, that more and more people know about these conditions, what options they have, what help they can have, and how to get through it. So let's meet Anne. Welcome, Anne. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you writing in and wanting to share your story. And I really appreciate specifically personal stories, but I just am always so fascinated by how people come to whatever it is that they come to in their life, what has led them to decisions and places of work and types of work. So yeah, I would love to know and start off with that. What is your work and how did you come to it? 
Yeah, so I have um, been working in maternal and child health for most of my career, mostly in East Africa on nutrition programs for moms and babies. And I think I've always just been the most committed to issues that are kind of rooted in prevention or kind of early intervention things, you know, intervening before someone is in crisis or desperately needs help, because I think that's where you can often have the greatest impact and maternal nutrition, prenatal nutrition, and getting really effective interventions out to many, many, many moms of many, many, many babies has always um, had a lot of appeal to me. I have a background in humanitarian work. I um, had a personal experience being in uh, Haiti in 2010 during the earthquake when I saw the worst human suffering that I could have imagined. A lot of people in very desperate, very desperate situations and and felt a, a connection to people who were going through something because I was there too. And I was going through it with them. And I, I always wanted in my work to have that connection and, and feel that, that real sense of unity and whatever hardship or whatever someone was facing. So that's, those are kinds of the connecting pieces for me and, and why I've been working in maternal and, and child health for yeah. most of my career. Yeah. For sure. This episode is supported by Hungry Root. I am a creature of habit when it comes to food, like I buy the same stuff in the store and generally make the same stuff over and over. Not really that fun. So in order to shake things up, I use Hungry Root. I can pick a whole meal and they send me what I need to make it, but I will also just let them choose so I don't get into my rut. And it paid off. I got the chicken shawarma non-flatbread. These are flavors that I wouldn't have thought to put together on my own, and they totally work. It was so yummy and so easy to make. And bonus, I also received for free organic roasted chicken breast that I threw into a salad for another meal. Hungry Root is my partner in healthy and yummy living. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Mom and Mind listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash cat to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash cat. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. This episode is supported by Ritual. I am by nature and nurture a bit skeptical. I have to see for myself if something works or if it's helpful before I just believe it whole cloth. And I'm open to trying things out to see for myself. And that includes finding strategies for my wellness. I have historically low vitamin D, so it's important for me to take Ritual's Essential 18 because it has D3 in it, and their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin has several other high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. What I love and have always loved about Ritual is that it's a female-founded company, and it's a B Corp, which means they're holding themselves accountable And not just long-term, but also to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash momandmind. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash momandmind for 25% off. 
how did you kind of get to East Africa as a place to be doing that work? Yeah, it was, it gets back to that wanting to, to do community level work. I had been working kind of in the policy space and felt really far away from people and mm-hmm. issues that I wanted to be affecting. And a friend of mine from grad school said, oh, there's a job opening that I think you would be perfect for. It was running an organization in Rwanda that focused on providing resources and education and support to um, expecting and new moms who uh, were struggling with, with malnutrition. And so, yeah, I moved from Washington, D.C. to Rwanda, I lived on a a farm for the first few months in a tent, which was very much kind of rooting me in the community. I didn't live there for for too, too long, but yeah, it was exactly what I wanted to do and what I I needed to do personally and professionally. So Rwanda was for how long were you there? That was almost three years in Rwanda. And then after that, moved to Tanzania for a few years, also working on public health uh, and nutrition programs for moms. Yeah. So, I mean, you're really, like you said, like being with people, getting to see and feel and and provide direct, I guess, impact, so to speak. And I'm assuming that those programs were helpful and working because you were there for so long. Yeah. That has always, for me, been a really defining thing. Like I have to feel like I'm working or doing something where I can, the impact is measurable, like something that you can say from here to here, like we started here and we ended up here. And we're pretty sure that whatever we're doing is really working because unfortunately in international development, especially, you know, years and years ago when I started doing this work, there's a lot less focus on where the resource is going. Are we doing things that are really helping people? And a lot of the way we were helping people was very top down. And I you know, there are lots of, I think, even in the US and healthcare examples of kind of that top down kind of care, that top down health. And I love that in like international development or developing countries work that you're doing there. But then also now what I'm seeing here working in, in US healthcare, that there's much more of the patient voice being heard or it's starting to be heard a yeah, little bit. Right. Or at least there's this awareness that that is an important part of actually delivering things that that work for people. Right. Not just somebody in an office thinking this is what's going to help and not even knowing if it does. Right. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Uh, Right. So then you you came back to the U.S. and... Yes. Yeah. So what happened for you in terms of getting into like the kind of perinatal world for yourself? Yeah. So I got pregnant while I was in Tanzania, my husband and I got pregnant and it was looking back on it. I can be a little bit more reflective and a little bit more honest about what was going on. But I, so I had been on medication to help manage my anxiety and prior to pregnancy. Well, prior to, and then I weaned myself off. Actually, I didn't have any doctor really. I could talk with in Tanzania or in the US anymore. I hadn't had a doctor in a really long time. And so I just looked online about how to do that safely. And it was a really, really awful (laughs) process because I had been increasing my own dosage, be able to sleep at night and to get through days. I had been really 
having a lot of, of, I had a really hard time managing um, being in a, in a very, very intense 24 seven operational role and having some kind of hardships related to, to work and just kind of trying to process all of it. And then became pregnant and realized this wasn't actually a safe medication necessarily for the pregnancy. And I weaned myself off and, and then had a really hard time during pregnancy. I couldn't sleep. I could barely sleep. And my, my husband would say, listen, I I feel like you need some coping strategies. Like you need something to help you get through this. And it was really affecting our relationship at the time. I didn't really know what I was doing, but the kinds of things were, I was relying on him for basically everything and trying to keep tabs and kind of keep control over him and where he was. And because it made me feel a little bit of relief, but it was not healthy for him and not healthy for our relationship, certainly. And it got a little bit better when I moved back to the States and started, you know, being close to my family, the third trimester and really separating myself from the things about work that really were not healthy or good and spent time basically kind of healing a little bit, but was having, I started my care with my OB and never once did I mention about the the medication that I was on or my experience with my mental health or what was really going on with me. Cause there wasn't, there was no time or place to do that. There was no mm-hmm. opening in the conversation to be like, well, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Right. Nothing like that. Instead, I had chronic kidney infections. Oh, no. So random. I have no idea. They were just starting in Tanzania and had really been managing my own pregnancy because my OB was not like that engaged or concerned about them. And then got sort of a talking to when I got back to the States, like, why haven't you been on an antibiotic suppressing these? This is really dangerous and felt a lot of shame around that. Like I had already started failing and I'd been worried, you know, no knew that because I wasn't sleeping and because I was feeling so anxious, spent a lot of time every night reading the same studies about the effects of anxiety on developing baby. And it was, yeah, it was just a really, really challenging time. Not at all what I had thought it would be like. And despite having worked in maternal and child health, it made me realize that I literally had no idea what I've been doing. I mean, kind of, I knew some stuff. I, I had developed a very specific expertise in nutrition, maternal and child nutrition, but the experience of motherhood uh-huh, no, was really so important for me to actually understand what supporting moms should actually look like. Oh, right. For sure. Yeah. It is uh, just so hard to, I mean, you can hear about stuff and maybe conceptualize it a bit, but once you're in it and you feel the depth of what that feels like and the intensity, it's eye-opening in a lot of ways, but what it's typically does, I don't know if this is true for you, but it like, it can almost like make you more compassionate for other moms, but it doesn't necessarily make you more compassionate for yourself. (laughs) That is a very important insight. <laughs> uh, right. It's, yeah, I wish it worked both ways. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tough one for sure. Yep. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Right. So this is now you, you came back to the U.S. You had that. Oh, it's really sucks to feel that shame from anybody, but also from a provider. 
And I hope that that's not the intention on their part. I don't think it is, but it, it, that, that lands in a certain way. It really does. And it's something that I've reflected on a lot since, you know, over the years. And so the long story short, I realized that maternal mental health was a really big gap and that I, something that I really wanted to address from a public health standpoint to mm. start thinking a little bit about what it could mean to actually you know, have mental health support, access to care, and even know what, how to handle these really challenging and really common things that a lot of us experienced during this period early, instead of kind of what happened in my experience, which is, it was at my son's one month well child visit that I had my first depression screening, which is great. I'm glad that we're doing those screenings. But at the time I of the screening, I couldn't, my husband was at the appointment with me, which was great to have that support, but I couldn't talk at that appointment without crying. Like I couldn't say a single word. I couldn't ask a question. I had no way of communicating and the doctor could see that. And she looked at me compassionately. Like she, I think she felt bad. Like she was not a bad person, but there was a real disconnect between getting that screening and how clearly I was doing, which is not good. Right. I was not coping. And I think that when just to get back, cause I, I don't want to lose it, that compassion, you know, for other, I, I started, I think this is very common, this experience of just feeling so much compassion and caring for moms and babies and, you know, other people that, Absolutely. There was no part of me that felt compassion for myself during that time. There was no part of me that was like, you are doing your best. You are okay. You are enough. There's no part of me that was talking to myself in that way. And it's a huge, huge gap (laughs) because we all need, we all need to be directing that compassion inward. Cause that also means you're going to direct it outward too. You know, if you're bringing it into yourself, you can also bring it to other people, other relationships. Right. That's absolutely true. And really hard to do when you're in it like that deep, (laughs) when you have a little bit more distance from it, aren't so intensely impacted by how it feels that you can reflect on it and be like, Oh, wish I could have been nicer to myself. (laughs) It's just so hard to do in the moment. Yeah. And there's a lot in the experience that you're kind of explaining away or trying to rationalize or process and, you know, getting back to, you know, I, I totally agree. I don't think the OBs were, the intention was trying to create a feeling of shame in me. Of course not. You know, I think they were just alarmed and wanted to help right away. They wanted to do something and were worried that something hadn't been done earlier. And I think, but I, I do think a lot about my birth experience and the things that stick out to me about the interactions I had with nurses versus OBs versus, you know, the people who were there to kind of provide care and support and the people who are more there to clinically assess and and provide a medical intervention and how differently I felt about those two (laughs) categories of two broad categories of people, the care people and the intervention people. And how they kind of feel like two different things pulling at me. One on the one side, I don't feel very good about the OBs or my experience with the medical at like many, 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 many of us. But I do feel good about the people who were, you know, saying it's going to be okay. And, you know, providing a little bit of education, a little bit of wisdom here and there. It's just Mm -hmm. a totally different, totally different feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
And and there's, oh, I, I like how you described the difference between the people who are there to provide care and the people who are there to clinically assess. That That is such an important distinction. And it's not like the clinical people don't care at, at all. It's just like, I always think it's weird. Like we are entering their workspace there. <laughs> this is like, they're just there doing their job. which is fine. And they're doing what they need to do, but right. That's not in their training. It's not, it's not. And that is absolutely something that I think, you know, there are so many misaligned incentives and healthcare that mean that, you know, the things that you spend time doing as a physician might not be the things that you really want to do, but that's how things are, you know, paid for reimbursed. And I think that many, many many physicians out there wish they had more time to focus on the care parts too. Um, and don't like the feeling of outsourcing that based on, you know, talking to a lot of people who want to see change too, but it's, it's the system that's kind of preventing that from happening. For sure. In part, that's the, the insurance companies and whoever the payers (laughs) are. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, totally. So I drift, we drifted a little bit away from your, your, personal experience. I want to get back to that and then come back to this, the policy stuff, but, and what you're doing now, but like in terms of your personal experience, you know, you're describing the, your experience during pregnancy and even, and during the birthing experience. And then um, in the postpartum, like, did you, it sounds like you knew that something wasn't quite right, but how did you get to help if you got to help? Yeah. Well, I think that's a very sad part of my story, which is, I mean, I think there are a few, probably a few elements that aren't, aren't very uplifting, but the, for me, I actually never found someone to talk with. I reached out to a few different kinds of things and for different reasons, you know, scheduling costs, the resources that I was, you know, starting to engage with weren't yeah, weren't, weren't quite right. And I I didn't want to get back on medication. I know that was an option for me, but I think I was just too scared to go back on medication because of what had been happening before, you know, for me where I was, you know, increasing my own Mm. dosage. And I didn't want that feeling again, of not being able to rely on myself or have coping strategies. And part of the challenge for me is that I, had had experiences before with therapists where I had felt like I was trying to say the right thing, (laughs) almost like I was trying to please them in in the session rather than, you know, having a really honest conversation. And I think the my first experience with therapy was actually after that, that Haiti experience, my work kind of mandated it, they said, you need to go talk someone, well, they gently mandated it. They weren't like you do this or else they were oh, like, uh-huh. really, you went through a big thing. Like you need to go talk with someone. This is not like a normal thing to go through. And at that first and only appointment, the therapist told me about his experience in the 1989 San Francisco earthquake. Wow. And I thought, well, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Your instincts were right. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, I don't know. Sometimes therapists use uh, personal experience to connect and whatnot, but there's, there's also, there's a way to do it where it doesn't take away from somebody else's experience. Yeah. I felt myself kind of trying to make him feel better about the experience. And I thought, well, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure this is really going to help. And I I understand that is probably a 
an anomaly and they're like, you know, but they're, I think these little experiences, especially if you're not very familiar with what you can get, you know, what, oh, what sure. is available to you yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can make you feel like, oh, well, I'm not sure I want that particular experience again. That is so true. Yeah. That is so true. And I will say too, like after you've gone through something as massive as that, let's say it's hard to be vulnerable anyways, but then if you've gone through something that big and it's that hard, it's hard to then like have an experience with a provider like that. And then to try again. Yeah. I think that's, you've hit the nail on the head. I think that's exactly what it has felt like for me. And I think the other thing I've really struggled with is, and something that I feel really hopeful about change, helping change, helping affect this is talking about difficult experiences, like the way we're talking now, I don't know that I've ever had a conversation like this with anyone gone like this, having that space and having being able to give some voice, even if it feels slightly imperfect, like not exactly what I want to say, but just being able to say it, I think is, or, and feeling like you have a space to do that. I think it's just so, so important. Yeah. It is. It for sure is. Cause otherwise what happens? I mean, it stays inside and I don't know, like for, for most people, when stuff just stays inside, it takes on a life of its own. You just like start thinking and overthinking and double thinking and like what, whatever happens in there, it gets all mushy and like a, a little warped and all that stuff. It does. I don't know if you could like point to a place in your brain where you're like, Oh, that's what's happening. And that's why it feels better to not, you know, to verbalize this or to feel through it or whatever, but it does. It just helps. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, one of the the things that I feel really excited about is we already started talking about compassion, but, you know, I, I started, I read a book that was about compassionate mind training for postpartum depression. Mm. And it basically, at least the most important I mean, there's so many wonderful things about it, really talking about what's happening in our bodies and you know, biology and stuff like that, really understanding and shifting blame from oneself to other things like these other factors that are creating this mm-hmm. for us. It's not yes. our fault. Right. But I love it because I actually think that this feeling that I have had, like feeling ashamed um, of, of different things, like my, you know, the medication stuff and, you know, different experiences I've had, I actually think that shame and compassion are such compassion is such a great antidote to shame. And that if we can create more of that mm-hmm. compassion and more of that inner compassion, that that's such a good way to get people to feel open to talking with others and open to sharing their experiences. And yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent. It's just not, I mean, it's not in the water yet. You know, like I think we're trying to undo a lot of stuff uh, and societally that's really big issues. Like you were saying, like the systemic issues that are impacting us, the reason, the bigger reasons why we feel terrible sometimes, or maybe a lot of the time, but also just like old ways of thinking that like, you know, whatever those things are like stiff up our lip and bootstraps and all this other weirdness. Like, I don't even know what it means, but it means you're not supposed to have feelings. Right. It means you're not or supposed to rely on people. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> you're not supposed to ask for help. Right. right. Yeah. Um, really bad ideas. 
<laughs> don't, whatever you do, no matter how much you're struggling, don't ask anyone for help. Yeah. It's talk. It's so toxic. But well, I mean, we've all, it's just, that's how we, it's been internalized. I think is what I'm trying to say. So in some way, like the, the, what you're realized, what you have realized for yourself that like, you don't obviously don't want to feel that way. How you were feeling. You sort of have to swim upstream a little bit. Like you're against a current yes. in oh, this. I love how you put that. That's exactly right. And it's kind of hard work. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's actually hard work. And it's even the nature of just engaging in hard work is actually really good for you and really can be so productive. But you're so right. Because if you just kind of go with what society is saying, or what maybe we've internalized and learned over time, we will not get help. We will not talk about these issues and we won't feel better. Right. So, I mean, this is why I really appreciate you sharing your experience because this is part of it is, you know, remembering that we are human and that we all go through things. There's there's like not one person who gets through this without something to talk about. (laughs) But when you're left to feel like alone and that there's not support and it messes us up to say it lightly. Yeah, it really does. And I think that one of the hard things is, is, you know, I think there's so many things that feel so specific about motherhood and this whole experience, but there's so many ways to kind of get it wrong. Like the nuance is so critical. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not correct. It's not precise enough to say that I felt like a failure, even though sometimes I did feel like I was failing. And sometimes I actually did feel like I was a failure, but at the same time, there were moments, even during those periods when I felt like I was doing something good or Mm -hmm. I found something. Mm -hmm. So many things are true at once. That's how everything is true. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why it's really hard because I think my, a lot of times, like, you know, I look back at pictures and I think about memories and they're just, they're so special and they're so happy. But I also know at the same time, there's so much pain, those same moments, same exact moment I could be feeling wonderful and terrible. And that's motherhood. (laughs) (laughs) So complex. Yeah. It's so complex. It's so complex. And I think sometimes that makes it harder to talk about because we don't want to be voicing something that doesn't feel like true, you know, totally true. Right. 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 So what does, I mean, you know, based on your experience and all of the work you've seen and seen in the world, like, what do you, do you kind of wish that people were taking away from, I guess, moms in particular when going through stuff? (sighs) I think a lot of us spend a lot of time thinking that we're not quite bad off enough or not quite suffering enough to get help or get support or reach out. I think a lot of us feel like, well, somebody else has it worse. At least I have this, or I can just kind of put my head down and get through it. And it's, it's such a heartbreaking thing that we all do because, you know, a lot of us really, really wanted this pregnancy or really are so proud about this specific thing or that specific thing. And, you know, and, but I mean, just because we can get through it, you know, can make it through a day doesn't mean that we don't deserve to care for ourselves in ways that make a really big difference in how we feel in our relationships. And so much of 
I would say so much of the perinatal experience is not just the physical side. I think there's complete overlap with your, the emotional side of it and your mental health. There's just complete overlap there. Yeah. And you cannot have health without, you know, mental health in the perinatal period. And it's, it's just, you know, and it's never too early to start working on that and thinking about that and, and really taking care of yourself. What do you, to that end, like, what do you wish we were doing differently? We meaning like everyone. Society. <laughs> Society. Society yeah. and systems. And how should we fix all of this? Well, you know, it's really hard because, so, you know, we have right now, I think the way we approach mental health is primarily from a treatment. If you're more, if you have a higher acuity, if you're more complex, like you'll get treatment and that often catches people who have been doing this head down coping and just finally can't take it anymore approach. And I really wish that we were providing people with some support a lot earlier and everybody, you don't have to, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a positive screen on a depression screen, or you don't have to have certain things. All you need to feel is an openness to kind of getting through a period a little bit easier. That's all I think we need. And I wish that we were connecting people with resources and doing that during the prenatal period, because so many people, myself included, don't have any idea (laughs) that it is extremely common to be struggling and struggling more than you have ever struggled with feelings of, you know, symptoms of anxiety or depression. Yeah, for sure. I I really appreciate you bringing in that perspective that you, like, you don't have to have a diagnosis. You don't have to, there doesn't have to be something that somebody else says or whatever. It doesn't have to be a label at all. Exactly. Exactly. I think labels are pretty unhelpful. (laughs) They kind of feed into that thing that we were talking about earlier, which is like the shame feeling. Like we sometimes feel ashamed if we have a label and and labels, you know, can be helpful, but they can also be limiting and and your experience is valid and important no matter what, you know, that's what I want everybody to know, you know, it's, and it's yours. So, you know, it's only you really know what's going on with you and Nobody can kind of put a stick a label or tell you something that you are or, or not like, you know, what, what's going on. Right. So for uh, like what you were saying, people might be hesitant to reach out for support. Yeah. Uh, if they don't have, well, even if they're not sure what's going on or something feels a little off or that they just want more support, like it, that, that can just be, it's okay to want support. It yeah. doesn't mean, have to mean anything. Yes, exactly. It doesn't have to mean anything. And I don't know if this is a good time for me to talk about the work that we're doing. Oh, for sure. Yes, I would love to. Oh, great. Okay, cool. So yeah, that was, you know, we, we created the team at Canopy created an audio based program that's kind of customized to different things that you might be going through or experiencing based on a few different therapeutic techniques. One is compassion focused therapy. Uh, which we've talked a little bit about. And then two are recommended by something called the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, which I didn't know exist, but it's something that tells tells us what what kinds of things can have a really a lot of evidence behind them and, and can be effective for preventing the onset of different things. And so interpersonal therapy, which focuses on our relationships and communication and 
so important during this time. I think a lot of us, especially if we're not feeling great, we tend to isolate ourselves, but isolation on top of motherhood equals, ah, (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) And then cognitive behavioral therapy, which, you know, allows us to kind of bring awareness to the different, you know, the thoughts we might be having and, and understanding, you know, maybe that thought isn't producing something helpful. Maybe that thought isn't necessarily telling us something that's true helping us understand the difference between thoughts and feelings and behaviors. And it sounds very clinical and stuff like that. And we designed it from, you know, research programs and stuff that had already had like a lot of evidence behind it, but we designed, you know, the actual program and how it is with moms. So it's actually talking about examples that are rooted in, you know, this is what you might be experiencing. Um, this is what at this time, and this is kind of the specific link of this technique to an experience of motherhood. So you learn about the techniques, you learn about, you know, what's going on in your mind and your body potentially, and then you can practice little sessions are all under five minutes. And yeah, it's available through an app, not because we wanted to design an app, but that's, all of us are on our phones, <laughs> especially in those first few months. So, and, you know, it was really for convenience. So it's audio and text in English and Spanish. Oh, cool. That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear that it's in Spanish as well. Support for today's episode comes from OneSkin. And for a limited time, my listeners get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code MIND when you check out at oneskin.co. Well, I've kept up my mini resolution of taking better care of my skin after consistently using one skin for several weeks and all is going well. I can't see what's going on at a cellular level, but I can tell you that my skin feels soft and healthy. But they did do some cool research that looked at before and after exposure of the OS1 peptide to skin cells, and the one skin scientist found that the peptide reverses skin's biological age. And you can even see that study by Zonari A. et al. in the NPJ Aging Journal. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code MIND at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code MIND. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New Year, healthier skin. That's one skin. This episode is supported by Factor. Eating better is better with ready-to-eat Factor meals. And ready-to-eat means pop it in the microwave for two minutes and done. I mix in a few of these meals into my rotation for the days that we're on the run or that I don't want to make anything. I chose the high-protein and calorie-smart options one of which is the mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice with garlic roasted green beans. This is restaurant quality and so tasty. I can adjust how many meals I get in my order as much or as little as I need every week. Plus, I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime, which comes in really handy for our busy schedule. Head to factormeals.com slash momandmind50 and use code momandmind50 to get 50% off. That's code momandmind50 at factormeals.com slash momandmind50 to get 50% off. So what kinds of other, you said the audio program, what kind of other things can people find there? 
Yeah. So stories about people sharing their experiences of different things. We have a little bit of information about common challenges, you know, but, you know, a lot of moms, for example, are surprised that they don't feel bonded to their baby, especially common and first time moms. So we're, we're really trying to shed light on things that people might be experiencing, but might not have a necessarily a way to understand it or know that it's really common, normal. We talk about sleep and relationships. And then um, we also have, you know, different ways of accessing emergency resources through the app. So if you need support right away, you can actually just call or text in English and Spanish if you're these kind of higher level resources, if, if that's something that you might need in that moment. Because, you know, this is meant to be a, not a substitute for treatment, not a substitute for talking with a professional. It's meant to be something that you do on your own time that you access when you feel that openness to it and want some support, but, you know, might not be ready for something else. But we want to make sure that people who are experiencing something that is a little bit more complicated or needs a little bit more help than we can provide, that that's easy and that you have multiple ways of doing that. Right. Yes, absolutely. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So it's like a ton of support. Yeah, it is actually, I guess, you know, it's funny because they always say, don't design something for yourself. People say that people say that. I don't know. I, I've heard that quite a bit, but it is honestly really what I wish I had had during the, especially when I was expecting mm-hmm. uh, there's just, I think my experience and my feelings about myself would have been really different. If I had known, you know, had some coping strategies, had known what was going on, had access to other resources, just knowing, you know, some kind of explanation about what, what happens. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that info and education is really key because if you don't know, then you blame yourself. It's just, it happens every time. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And usually when you find out it's when things have gotten so challenging that it's hard to even, even get through the day or do anything. And so, yeah, so that's, that's what we're, we're doing. And, you know, we also do the, the programs are focused on the expecting period or or new motherhood up to about a year, 18 months. But we also do have programs for fathers or caregivers, people who don't identify as a mother or father, but are a caregiver, maybe a grandma or, you know, somebody else in the family who's taking care of the baby. That's fantastic. So how do people find out about it? I mean, other than we're talking about it right now and (laughs) they can go to www.canopy.app. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) C-A-N-O-P-I-E. Spelled in the cute way. <laughs> but anyway, it will autocorrect to why, but it's canopy with an IE. Yeah. And then, so we're working with some hospitals. We've got a NICU focused program that we offer through the app. So we sometimes are available to people through their insurance or through their doctors. We're also doing some research right now with some health systems on this kind of prevention-based mental health support with some of our research advisors and a perinatal psychiatrist at that, that health system. So we're really excited. You know, the, our goal has been to always, you know, stay 
really rooted in evidence. So really make sure like you're not going to learn anything here that isn't supported by lots of research papers. There's nothing like that, but it also, if you go to the app, it's designed in such a way that it's supposed to feel like a gift, like something that's nice that you're doing for yourself. And the images are supposed to feel nice and inclusive and more like a consumer product than like what you usually get from your doctor in terms of things you've got to do. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I'm really excited for people to find this app and check it out. I mean, it sounds like I just, there are so many different ways that we show up in the world and different ways that we have needs and, you know, being able to have access to multiple ways of getting support and also multiple avenues of learning and getting education. I mean, we don't all like hear things and learn in the same way. So like having this as a, an opportunity as a, a place to get that support and understanding is just helpful to be able to reach a lot of people. Yeah. And I mean, you're, this podcast is really doing that. So, you know, you're doing that hard and important work of getting people's personal stories and creating space for that education. And I just feel so grateful to you for what you're doing. Cause I just think that it is, it's so, so, so important and you can reach anybody anywhere. And I just think that that's really beautiful. I think that's awesome. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, then we're both doing that. <laughs> High five. High five, right? <laughs> High five. Awesome. Cool. Well, I really thank you for your time and coming on and sharing your story and being vulnerable here with us and then turning your experience into this beautiful support. Thank you so much, Dr. Kat. I can't tell you how grateful I am to have been here and to be able to share a little bit. And I hope it reaches someone and can help a little bit. Thank you. I know it will. You can find Anne on LinkedIn at Anne Wanland, and you can go check out the Canopy app at www.canopie.app. Thank you again for joining us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.